You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Consider a company called Basic Attention Token, which raised $36 million in 30 seconds earlier this year. Last week, a blockchain data storage network called Filecoin raised an estimated $200 million in an hour. The world of Bitcoin is booming. One Bitcoin has escalated from mere cents some uh, seven, eight years ago to now being worth over $5,000 per coin. And stories are abounding of people buying early Bitcoins for $25.00. The, the hard drive they were stored on uh, crashing and then throwing it out without recognizing that that $25 worth of Bitcoin's now worth some $5 million plus dollars. So there's lots of innovative ways to use uh, the blockchain technology that underpins Bitcoin. And today we are going to step into this frontier. Listeners, uh, following on our recent discussions about the role of energy and middlemen uh, causing havoc with our pricing system, we've invited David Martin, who's the managing director and co-founder of an exciting startup called Power Ledger, based in Perth. So, uh, David, uh, give us an overview of what Power Ledger is all about and how it's going to make. Uh, uh, the life of uh, middlemen in the energy market ever more difficult. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. So Power Ledger is a uh, an energy technology company. We use blockchain technology to create a, uh, a trustless peer-to-peer trading environment to allow consumers uh, behind a master meter in strata titled residential and commercial developments to trade energy amongst themselves. Our product is also deployable across the regulated network um, disintermediating the electricity supply between consumers. And we've also created a, a autonomous asset trading application that fractionalizes the ownership of generation assets and allows multiple investors into, um, into generation assets to earn a return without um, the need to have a, a market intermediary. Okay, well, let's delve into that. Uh, quite a bit of lingo in there, but uh, Dave... Uh, uh, that has been one of the problems, hasn't it? We've got this uh, urbanised society where more and more people are living in apartment dwellings and they save uh, in terms of greenhouses. Uh, there's been a number of studies that have shown that those who live in uh, zero-star apartment blocks in the CBD have uh, a lower eco-footprint than those uh, in seven stars on the sprawl. So uh, uh, tell us a bit about how... Y- this market is going to actually be able to be involved in the renewables uh, revolution. I guess we have to look at what what's already happening in the in the electricity market. So you touched on on people with rooftop solar panels, and in Australia, that the number of people with rooftop solar is edging up towards twenty percent of the population, and in Western Australia, it's it's over twenty four percent of the population. So the the genie's out of the bottle, I guess, in regards to the development of a distributed energy market. There are more and more consumers that are creating their own energy, and at the moment, we still force those consumers to play um, within the wholesale market framework. So we, we used to have this electricity system that was one directional. We had large scale coal fired and gas fired power stations that pushed electricity through hundreds of kilometres of transmission and distribution lines to customers who just took what they got. 
And so the energy system ran in one way and the wholesale market determined the, the price of energy. Now what we've got uh, in Australia is that over the last, well, since 2011, there's been slightly more new generation connected to Australian rooftops than has been connected to the Australian transmission systems. And so we've got a change in the topology of the of the power system. There's as much generation now being installed out of the fringes as has been installed in, in, at the central, at the heart of the system over um, previous decades. But the market itself hasn't kept up with that. Um, we're still forcing consumers out of the fringes to play by the same wholesale market rules. So if you are a, a, um, a homeowner and you've got PV panels on your roof and you're at work during the day, all of your excess energy is being spilled into the network and you have to sell that electricity to your retailer. Um, there's no way for you to um, to, to monetize um, your excess capacity beyond that feed-in tariff. And there's no way of you to take control over the capacity that you've installed other than to install a battery and, and keep it all for yourself. And I guess that's the risk we face as an energy system, that consumers, um, first residential consumers and then grow increasingly more commercial consumers, install storage, they generate their own energy, and they virtually disappear from the network. It's called load defection. So the energy that they would normally have consumed <coughs> and paid for, which would have helped pay for the upkeep of the network, they're now generating themselves and storing on site. So they're not contributing to the network and they're leaving it to everybody else to pay, um, pay the network's way. So consumers who can't afford to pay the network, and that's where uh, so we're ahead. starting to, and that's where we're starting to hear stories now of uh, rumours of uh, network charges being uh, placed on all property, uh, on all property owners uh, to maintain that network. And you're coming up with a, a positive workaround for that, using yeah. uh, market forces rather than uh, regulation. I think that's that's exactly what we've tried to do. So turning the distribution network into a trading platform. Um, and allowing a customer who's got PV and storage perhaps on their roof to monetize that capacity by trading that energy with their neighbor um, is a better way, more of a carrot stick, than saying, well, the network runs past your house. So there's a lot of dynamics at play there. Um, you're trying to incentivize the decarbonization of the energy industry. You're trying to incentivize consumers to, um, to be the ones that make investments in or micro investments in generating capacity. But if you set up the market framework that just penalises consumers for doing that, then you're, you're limiting the ability to achieve both of those outcomes. We hobble the ability to reduce the carbon impact of our energy supplies, and we also throw all of the, um, the investment risk back on central planned utilities. And, and increasingly, as you see, with large-scale batteries being installed, um, throwing that obligation back to state governments. Well, let's see how this modern software goes, removing that background hum. Okay, so just uh, reiterating then that uh, uh, your technology, this, this online platform, this online trading house will allow uh, a tenant in an apartment block to be able to buy power off maybe one of these new concentrated solar thermal plants that are starting to come online around Australia. Is that what you're really talking about? That just sounds like normal retail. There's more to it than this. And it's the point I, I've, I'm challenged with on this concept is how myself uh, having a, a 2.9 uh, kilowatt system on my roof, how I would... Uh, determine when I've got excess energy and how much I could sell to you? How does the technology work on that front? 
Well, the, the technology itself isn't trying to change the laws of physics. So what happens when you're not at home and your, your 2.9 kilowatt system is producing energy on a bright sunny day, um, there's no air conditioner on, all your excess energy is being spilled into the network. And so what's happening at that point in time is that energy is being used at the closest point of demand. So if, if your neighbours are home and they don't have PV panels and they're using electricity from the grid, the chances are it's actually coming off your rooftop panel, or at least the energy that you're contributing into the grid at that point is reducing the amount of energy needing to flow from other power stations. So what our system does is read um, all of the meters in the trading application, its trading environment at the same time, whether they're generating or consuming, and ties um, the physical energy transaction uh, together in, in an immutable record on the blockchain, which gives us then the ability and the comfort uh, and the security to be able to tie a financial transaction to the physical transaction. So in each 15-minute or half-hour interval correlated with the, with the trading on the, on the wholesale market, we can, we can settle a peer-to-peer -peer trade for, for energy between consumers. And I guess to your point earlier about buying energy of concentrated solar farms, the, the point of distributed energy resources is it's allowing us to chunk down the system. So we're encouraging more generation out into the distribution network where the consumers are. And that's great because a lot of that new generation is renewable. Um, it's putting energy out to where the customers are, so it's adding to the resilience of distribution networks in the face of, of things like climate change. Um, and, it's, and it's giving consumers the ability to make those investments and, and earn returns. So we're not talking about using you know, the, the platform to trade energy from Queensland to Victoria, for example, although it could. What we're saying is that consumers who are installing rooftop solar panels in the distribution network in, in neighbourhoods around Australia are inadvertently providing capacity to the energy system that they're not being rewarded for. So by being allowing them to trade with their neighbours and people on the same um, discrete area, the same local part of the network, we can reflect the value of the capacity that they're adding to the system and reward them for it. Okay, I think I get that. That sounds uh, pretty explanatory, but uh, how are you going to provide the... Um competition and and uh, I imagine um, a pricing competition with the, the general tariffs were offered so that more uh, power producers come on board to your network. Is that something that you're aiming for? Yeah, absolutely. So in our initial deployments, the, the, the existing electricity regulations aren't aren't friendly towards peer-to-peer -to -peer trading across the regulated network. So where we're doing that, we're doing that in a trial environment. But behind a master meter at the moment, so in a strata titled apartment building, for example, there might be three floors of apartment buildings, there might be 30 people living under the under that roof, and enough roof space for 40 or 50 kilowatts of, of solar panels. At the moment, the strata part of the housing market is really underrepresented in, um, in distributed energy resources, and, and particularly in PV panels, because in order for a, a strata title department to agree to put 40 or 50 kilowatts of PV on the roof, they've, they've got to get a, a, a consensus among all of the, um, the residents and tenants, the owner-occupiers in that property. And if some of us work during the day, some of us are at home during the day, some of us travel a lot, there's no way of guaranteeing that you're going to get the value from your investment in rooftop PV. So it, it simply doesn't happen. So our system at the moment allows the fractionalising of the ownership of the, of the PV system and then the allocation of energy on the basis of, of ownership and then um, trading of energy between the consumers under that roof. So at least if you're not home to benefit from that um, cheap renewable energy, you can sell it to your neighbours who are home and, and consuming your allocation. And so that's in that scenario, 
we're looking at the, the price of embedded energy, which at the moment is, is more than competitive with energy that's available from the network because you're not paying for network charges. It's, 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 it's all generated on site at a, at a really low cost. When we get into an environment where we're trading across the network, we've got a couple of bookends that um, help set the pricing. But ultimately, the pricing is set by the participants in the trading market or the, the application or the trading host themselves. So in our Bustleton trial, where consumers had um, a feed-in tariff available to them of about seven cents and a regulated retail energy tariff of about 27 cents. So long as we set the, the buy price for energy in the trading market somewhere above seven cents to incentivize below that 27 cent mark to incentivize buying, we gave both the buyer and the seller uh, a really strong incentive to participate in a distributed trading market. And using those bookends, there's still space in between to pay for the use of a, a limited component of the distribution network. Very, very interesting. Listeners, we're talking to the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Power Ledger, David Martin, about a, a new way to trade energy within markets using uh, decentralized encryptions enabled by a blockchain technology. Now, let's get into this side of the equation, David. How does blockchain work and, and what's it going to do to uh, in, engender this trust that's needed to, for, for these sort of uh, trades? So the blockchain at its most simple is a distributed database. It's a database that all actors in a, in a trading ecosystem have access to visibility of and allows us to record all the terms and conditions of the trade and all the physical components of the trade in an immutable record, which means that there's, there's no need for settlement at the end of the day. So if you think of how the energy market works now, generators produce energy, retailers kind of figure out how much energy they've bought when they read the meters of their customers maybe 60 days later. That data all goes to a market operator and the market operator performs a, a settlement and says, you owe this bloke this much. What the blockchain does is disintermediates that, that settlement um, arrangement because all of the terms and conditions and all of the inputs and outputs to the transaction are recorded in an immutable record that is available to all of the parties in that transaction to, to review. Um, we don't have that time taken for settlement. So rather than having to trust uh, an intermediary to come in and tell you who owes who what, we have a, what we call a trustless environment. The blockchain takes care of all of that, that settlement and reconciliation, and we can tie a, a financial transaction to that physical transaction for energy. Very good, very good. And uh, uh, it's that uh, rapid uh, ability to approve transactions and the fact that uh, energy is provided, I mean, usually when you're creating some form of currency or exchange of value, you need a government seal of approval behind it. But what, what is the, uh, the measure of enforcement uh, within this marketplace? Uh, the measure of enforcement? So um, are you saying how do we force people to participate? Or? No, it, maybe it's not the right word, but the... Um, well, the means of exchange is through the blockchain, but then uh, to ensure that uh, both sides of the party are meeting their uh, their agreement, how does the software enhance that relationship? And so, in the trading environment, uh, consumers have access to the to available um, generation. So, there, there's no forward contract about about volumes. 
It's simply saying if I have excess energy, then I agree to buy it. If you have excess energy, sorry, I agree to buy it at a predetermined rate. And so the, the consumer who is the purchasing consumer will prepay for a, um, a, a volume of energy. And then as it's available, they will exchange that value for that energy with the, with the selling customer. Uh, and that, that transaction will be settled in that 30-minute interval. So consumers using the Power Ledger system will, um, uh, will receive, as, as they're registered into the system, they'll receive an email from us that'll include all of their contact details, their meter number, all of their, not just their, uh, um, their personal identifica identification, but their electrical identification. And they'll then log into our system. They'll, uh, they'll purchase a transactive token, which we call a Spark. And that Spark is, uh, is reflective of one Australian cent in the Australian market. So that if I go and buy $100 worth of Sparks, I can then access $100 worth of electricity. And I'm not exposed to any kind of um, uh, volatile um, currency um, uh, fluctuations. I've always got 100 Sparks in my wallet and it's $100 worth of electricity. Then if the terms and conditions of the trade within that trading group are that every kilowatt hour that I buy off my neighbour is worth 15 cents. As a kilowatt hour is injected from his meter into the network and then consumed from the network via my meter, 15 sparks run from my wallet to his wallet. And so that financial transaction is recorded as a transaction of sparks. And then as the selling customer um, uh, accumulates a, a volume of sparks in his online wallet, he can then cash those in with, with PowerLedger you know, for cash. So rather than having a, a cash transaction in every 30-minute interval, we use a transactive token, which is a, a frictionless token, token that requires no, um, no uh, transaction fee to allocate value between consumers as energy is being exchanged between consumers. And so if people are cashing out of the market, uh, where is PowerLedger getting its financial returns from? to pay so, the producer. Yeah, so for every kilowatt hour transacted, for every volume of sparks that goes between a, a buyer and a seller, PowerLedger will take a, a small percentage of one cent for every transaction. So um, the, the greater the, the volume of energy being transacted in a trading group, then the smaller that level of, tra that, um, that level of, of, um, of um, I guess, the smaller the clip on the ticket needs to be. Uh, and over time, as more and more consumers are transacting energy, the, um, the, the, the energy charge that's charged by, uh, by PowerLedger for hosting that trading platform becomes smaller and smaller as to be virtually um, undetectable by the consumers that are trading energy. So repeating, that's a flat fee of one cent per transaction and no percentage charges involved. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more along the lines of uh, half a cent per kilowatt hour transacted. So okay. if, if we're trading energy at, uh, at 20 cents per kilowatt hour, which is you know, it's a pretty significant on what's, a discount on what's available in the, in the energy market at the moment, um, then um, half a cent per kilowatt hour, so half a spark, would be taken as a transaction charge from PowerLedger. Okay, with no monthly charges or software access fees and things like that. No, no, it's simply a uh, an energy charge. So there's a, a transaction charge that's calculated through the through the platform. It's part of the energy fee that um, the consumer pays, and as more and more energy is transacted, that fee can become smaller. Fantastic, and uh, and then one of the challenges is, and and one of the the beauties of the blockchain technology is the control of supply of money, in ensuring that we don't have a sort of rampant. Uh, priming of the print press that happened uh, post-GFC, those sort of things. So uh, 
How is supply controlled uh, in in this marketplace? So the, the, the cryptocurrency uh, and the energy exchange are kept separate. So our platform has uh, a, a dual token nature. So the Spark that we talked about earlier is the transactive platform only exists within the, um, the, the trading environment between the consumer, the buyer and the application host. An application host might be a network business or a retailer or it might be PowerLedger that's hosting a trading environment. And the, trade, the application host needs a pool of sparks to satisfy its customers for, for transaction and trading. And where do they get their sparks? Well, they get their sparks by um, surrendering power tokens, which is the cryptocurrency that um, we, are, we have developed. They surrender those power tokens to PowerLedger. We hold them uh, in a smart bond and, uh, and relate in return for the, um, the power tokens that they surrender, we give them the same value of, of Sparks to be able to trade amongst their consumers. So the power tokens um, are pre-mined. We've created a billion of those tokens. We're going through a, a token generation event at the moment where we're offering 350 million of those tokens to the, to the public market for purchase. And over time, as more application hosts, more customers and more energy is traded across the platform, uh, more power tokens are required because there is a, a limited demand, both in terms of a, a finite volume of them and, and more and more application hosts um, surrendering them under a smart bond with, uh, with PowerLedger, their value will increase. This data mining aspect is the, uh, the complexity for me in uh, the blockchain world. Who are going to be the data miners uh, within the, this ecosystem of power ledgers? So uh, it, it's not a uh, blockchain uh, data mining process like you have with, with Bitcoin, for example. So it's a, a proof of stake blockchain, a consortium blockchain where the, the data miners are identified, pre-identified, have a stake in the, in the trading environment and uh, are basically providing a, um, a replication service or, or hosting a, um, a, a replication of the, of the blockchain database. So rather than um, competing to mine data to a blockchain in order to create a, a token or a Bitcoin uh, in, like in some examples, all of these tokens are pre-mined. They're all available. Um, they are available for on the, on public exchanges, and they're more of a protocol token and act as a uh, unlimited license for application hosts to surrender with PowerLedger to gain access to their peer-to-peer trading technology and the platform itself, and a pool of sparks to then facilitate their own trading environment. So, David, we've just moved house. We've brought our solar panels out to the countryside. We're about to install them and sign a new contract. Should we do that or you know, should we be looking to, to join your marketplace here? In the short term, consumers on a regulated network, so those that have a, a typical supply with a retailer, aren't able to join the PowerLedger trading platform. So there are still some regulatory hurdles that need to be overcome before consumers on regulated networks can trade energy peer-to-peer. Consumers that live behind a master meter in a strata title development or, or commercial properties in a commercial strata or an industrial precinct um, that's a different story. They can now install PV panels and know that any of the energy that they have access to their own requirements, they can sell to their neighbours around them. If, for example, there's a lot of uh, businesses who decide, gee, that sounds fantastic, we can earn uh, extra revenue this way, and, and there's 10,000 businesses that join and only 2,000 consumers, uh, the pricing will obviously alter to reflect that? No, what we're talking about are discrete trading environments. So we're not looking to um, to replace the wholesale market 
um, at, the, at this point in time anyway. What we're talking about are, are discrete trading environments on geographically contained and electrically contained parts of the network. So literally trading energy between your neighbours. As soon as we're starting to trade energy right across the network, it sort of defeats the purpose. What we're doing by providing a, a, a framework for a distributed market to emerge is we're providing an incentive for more generation to go out into the network at, um, at efficient locations um, so that there's enough generation out in the network to, to meet demand. And we can do that by you know, managing discrete areas of the network, switchable sections, um, feeders, those sorts of things, And which is why dealing with this, this issue behind a master meter at the moment provides um, so many opportunities and such an insight into how distributed markets of the future might emerge. Okay, good. So just to really, t- just to ease my, um, any concerns, so competition between the pricing in the the regular retail market and and the market you provide will ensure that pricing is at least somewhat competitive across both markets and that the role of these middlemen uh, Enron type uh, energy traders is is not going to seep into uh, what you're doing there at power ledger no, because what, what we've enabled, and, and maybe the, the trial that we're doing in New Zealand is a really good um, example of that, is we're allow- allowing consumers to trade energy amongst themselves almost as a subsidiary market to the existing wholesale market. So normally what would happen is a, a, a metering company would go and read the meter of all the customers, and they would tell the retailer that this consumer consumed X kilowatt hours. And with the advent of rooftop panels, now what they're telling cons- the, the, the retail company is this customer of yours consumed this many kilowatt hours, but injected this many kilowatt hours into the network. So you've got a, a, a bi-directional service thing. And the retailer will pay for the energy that the consumer injects into the network and would, um, would charge them for the energy that they consumed from the network. What we're doing in New Zealand is netting off the amount of energy that's traded between consumers um, before reporting that data to um, to the wholesale market, or at least before it's being um, manipulated into into uh, retail billing, so all of that data is being collected. The amount of energy that's being transacted between neighbours and consumers is being netted off, and then the retailer is then only charging the customer for the energy, the excess energy that they bought that they couldn't get from their peer-to-peer trading environment. So. Um, that's coming at a different rate, obviously, because it's um, it's centrally generated. It's it's, it's covering all of the network and, and wholesale market charges, and those are that that element of the charge is directed from the retailer. But any energy that's being traded between consumers is traded, settled, and excluded from that final wash up. Excellent, excellent, good. Well, the netting will cover that. Great. All right. So uh, to to wrap up then. Uh, David Martin from Power Ledger, uh, what's your vision then for uh, the future of energy trading uh, circa 2020? The, the future of energy trading will reflect the, the ownership structures of the energy system uh, over the next five or ten years. Consumers are more and more are the ones that are making the investments and the decisions on investments in how energy infrastructure is being deployed. So the industry has talked for a number of years about putting the consumer at the centre of their planning. Now, really, the industry needs to look to the consumer and say, please put us at the centre of your planning. And the industry needs to create an incentive framework and a market framework that allows consumers who are making investments in distributed energy resources to monetize those investments in ways that assist the ongoing control and operation of the, of the energy system. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on 3CR's Renegade Economists.
Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, well, good luck with things. So I'll be keeping an eye on uh, developments. It's fantastic. Don't stop now. So there we have it, listeners. Yet again, another incredibly intelligent person, Dave Martin, Managing Director of Power Ledger, that we reveal to you here on The Renegade Economist. There are just so many good people doing good things on this planet. Why don't we hear more about the positive solutions, the ways we can use economics to make sense of reality and solve so many of these problems that uh, our political leaders just keep banging their heads against the wall on. And as you will most likely be aware, it is the role of these middlemen. They're trying to carve out this easy money where they can manufacture some scarcity to push prices higher. It sounds like Power Ledger is not going to be allowing that sort of behavior to occur by uh, stripping out the middlemen and allowing consumers and what they call prosumers, producers, to uh, interact directly, just like Bitcoin, stripping out the middlemen. Fantastic to see. Will this be the technology that more and more intentional communities, uh, eco-villages, community land trusts use uh, to try and accelerate uh, the, the growth of renewable energy? All right, uh, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Remember, our 126th annual Henry George commemorative dinner is coming up on Tuesday, September the 5th. Philip Anderson, he's a contrarian who uh, has uh, shocked us nearly every time he's spoken with some new perspective on the global economy and the emerging trends. He's continually proven himself right. His book, uh, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, is a must-read. Please, listeners, get on board. If you want to show your support for the show, I don't often do this call out, but I'd love a few new members. Go to prosper.org.au and join via there for just 30 bucks to support the renegade economists speaking truth to this corrupted power.